Welcome to the Real Life Show Living with a Chronic Illness. We are your hosts, Cassie and Chelsea. I'm Cassie, a single mom living with a chronic illness who is extremely passionate about living a full and happy life. And I'm Chelsea, a mindset coach that has a passion for helping people learn to put themselves first and be the best version of themselves each and every day. We came together to create Spoonies Unite, an uplifting community that offers resources, guidance, and support so you can live your best life while giving you the space to be yourself, be heard, and feel understood. We hope that by providing education from experts, we help Spoonies and their loved ones thrive. This show is not only for those who live with a chronic illness, but their friends, family, spouses, and just anyone else existing on the earth. Our goal is to normalizing having a chronic illness by sharing the real stories with real people and show the world how relatable those everyday struggles can be. There's a little something in here for everyone. And of course, thank you to our patrons for your continued support making this possible. If you love our show and want to get some extra goodies, go to patreon.com slash the real spoonies unite. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of The Real Life Show, Living with a Chronic Illness. We are so excited to be interviewing Danielle Hamilton today. She is just fantastic, and she is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner that specializes in blood sugar regulation, hormones, and fasting. Danny reverses her own PCOS, insulin resistance, seasonal allergies, chronic sinusitis, cystic acne, and asthma with a holistic lifestyle and individualized real food diet plan. Danny teaches her followers how to use diet and lifestyle to assist with the prevention and reversal of chronic disease. She is the host of the Unlock the Sugar Shackles podcast, where she unpacks confusing subjects like blood sugar and hormones in an easy-to-digest manner so listeners can start taking action towards achieving their health goals right away. Danny is also the founder of the hashtag sugar-free 30 program, which is a five-part holistic program that focuses on balancing blood sugar and reversing insulin resistance, which is one of the root causes of PCOS. The program is free to join and information about the program can be found on Danny's website, daniellehamiltonhealth.com. Talking to Danielle was so much fun for Cassie and I. She is just really, really good at diving into what is happening in our body at the root uh, level, talking through what's happening with our blood sugar, what's happening with our hormones, and how that is manifesting into our life with different symptoms. I know I learned so much about what happens in your body, how blood sugar relates to hormones and all those effects that it, that it can have. And I know Danny has inspired me to kind of look at my own evening habits a little bit deeper to see how I can make my body just work as optimally as possible. We hope you all enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of The Real Life Show, Living with a Chronic Illness. Today, we have Danielle Hamilton with us. Danny is the expert on blood sugar regulation, and we are so excited to talk to her. Thanks for being here, Danny. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, Danny, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your experience with PCOS and how you've gotten to where you are today? Sure. So like many people, I grew up eating a standard American diet and I ate cereal and all the carbs and all the packaged foods and, you know, things labeled with 
that said kids like Trixie yogurt because my mom thought she was giving me the best food, you know, it's for kids, right? And I had really negative health outcomes as a kid. They weren't super severe, but I just felt like I was always getting sick. I had allergies and asthma and I had to get my tonsils out and I was having eczema when I was little and I had ear infections. I took tons of antibiotics throughout my life and I was getting chronic sinus infections and on all these pharmaceutical medications for my allergies and my asthma. I was on multiple inhalers. I was getting allergy shots and I had to get, if you've ever gotten allergy shots, they put a certain number of the, whatever you're allergic to into one shot. And so I was up to three shots, which is quite a lot, meaning I was pretty severely allergic to a lot of things. And then I had to get two more shots. So then I was getting five. And then (laughs) instead of paying a copay every single time I went to the allergist because it was like so much money, I asked them to be able to take the shots home and have a nurse administer it to me because I worked at a nursing facility at the time. And so the nurse taught me how to administer the shots to myself. So I was giving myself five allergy shots in the stomach every other day. I mean, it was pretty hardcore. And Then I was having these sinus infections, leaving me feeling so, so, so tired and drained that, you know, I would literally drop a pen and just break down crying because I just couldn't take it anymore. Like my beaker of stress was overflowing totally. And so in 2013, I discovered the paleo diet and I was reading the book, The Paleo Solution by Rob Wolf. And I just was eating up all the information. And like, I was like, I want to just shout this from the rooftops. I can't believe we were misinformed so much about what to eat. And because at that point I had only been taking my advice from, you know, commercials and things like that. And like the low fat and eat granola bars. And it's just, you, you feel like you're doing everything right when you're, you know, having whole wheat bread and things like that. But what I learned was that there are so many of these foods that are in processed foods, mostly grains, uh, legumes, all the sugar that's in them, all the chemicals that are in these foods are just so inflammatory to our bodies. And so when I removed all those, my allergies went away. I got off all my medications. I had no more asthma. I was like cured of everything that I was going through, which was so amazing. But then I started to, my health got really good, but then it started to take a turn for the worse because I started to have a lot of hormonal issues. So now I'm in my mid twenties and I started to gain weight, even though I was eating this quote unquote healthy paleo diet with, you know, no refined sugars and no processed foods. And I was eating tons of vegetables and high quality meats, but I was just gaining weight. I started to lose my period. I went about six months without getting it. And I was having a lot of cystic acne and I had had acne in my teens and I thought it was going to go away, but it just kind of got worse. And I was like, this is so unfair. And I, I felt like I was someone who was very into health. I was working out at the time. I was doing yoga. I felt like I was doing everything right. And my, I felt that my body was 
like rebelling against me. And it feels so devastating to be in a position where you are someone who is trying your absolute hardest and revolving your life around taking the best care of your health, yet your symptoms seem to be getting worse. And I mean, I was listening to podcasts, reading blogs, reading books. I mean, I felt like I was just, you know, like a sponge for all this information. And I still was just not really getting at the root of the problem. So it wasn't going away. So I went to a a gynecologist and I said, listen, I'm having my, I, I can't lose weight. I'm working out. I don't know what to do. I think I have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. So he said to me, yeah, you have PCOS. You have to lose weight and you have to take the birth control pill and there's no cure. And I was like, what? I mean, to go into a, a visit and feel so vulnerable and feel like I just want to get some help. And I was even willing, like, I was like, okay, I want to go the pharmaceutical route, I guess, because I was trying everything natural. So I wanted to try something else. So I was like, okay, maybe I just need some intervention. So in the past, I had a really bad reaction to birth control pills. And I was like, no, I can't take the birth control pill. He's like, well, you have to. I mean, literally told me I have to. And it's like, what kind of informed consent is this? Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, and um, so I walked out of there and I was like, you know, forget him. I forget what he said. I am going to reverse this on my own. So he gave me so much motivation to do that. So thank you to that negative experience for all the motivation. And so I was still, you know, struggling for a little while. And I did end up taking some pharmaceuticals that did help. So I took metformin and I took spironolactone. Metformin helps you not, I believe, it helps you not absorb so much of the sugar that you're eating. So again, it's it's working with your blood sugar. And spironolactone is a pill for hypertension, but it's also, it acts like a a water pill. So you lose a lot of bloating weight, which I felt like I was holding on to. And it also helps reduce your androgen level, which are your male sex hormones, which in PCOS are often elevated. And that was causing my acne. So these two drugs did help me, but later on kind of jumping ahead a little bit, the, the dietary changes that I made kind of mimicked exactly what these drugs were doing. So I got off the drugs and was doing whatever they were helping me with, with my diet and lifestyle. So anyway, I was listening to a podcast by Megan Ramos and she works with Dr. Fung and he is this fasting guru. And I was listening all about intermittent fasting and finding it so interesting. And Megan said that PCOS is the diabetes of the ovaries. And I was like, huh, whoa, whoa. Because in all of this studying that I've done and books I've read and podcasts I've listened to, I never heard anything about blood sugar. And when I was even reading books, I would just skip over the blood sugar section because I was like, I don't have diabetes, I don't think. But it's just like, who knows what blood sugar issues feel like? And so I started to address my blood sugar issues by taking my paleo whole food, essentially like a whole foods diet and, and taking the carbs out, therefore making it a ketogenic paleo diet. So still with the real foods, the natural foods, but then 
in getting my body into ketosis to help heal my blood sugar, get my insulin levels down. And what do you know, my hormones started balancing. And I also incorporated a lot of intermittent fasting. And so those two things, the ketogenic diet and the fasting really did the same thing that those hardcore pharmaceutical drugs are doing. So if those, I always say, if metformin and spiro helped you, then a keto diet and fasting, which are much more natural, could also really likely help you. And that's something that I wanted a lot of people to to know because I know that people, those are common prescriptions that women with PCOS take. So yeah, so now I am, I've been doing a keto diet on and off, um, but low carb diet for about two and a half years. And I have no symptoms of PCOS and I feel like I'm doing amazing. (laughs) And I was able to lose that weight and my skin is good, except like, yeah, it's, it's fine now. And, and I couldn't, I mean, I, to get rid of acne, that was something that was really hard for me. It's hard to like wear your issues on Mm -hmm. top of you. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And going to nutrition school also really helped me be able to learn about root causes and how important getting at the root cause is. And so when I had been attempting to fix my PCOS and a lot of times I'll see PCOS pages, quote unquote, on Instagram, where they're like a PCOS type of guru. That's their specialty. They're still talking all about these sex hormones. So your estrogen, your testosterone, the androgens, but no one's talking about blood sugar. And blood sugar is a root cause of having dysregulated sex hormones. And so I could have treated my sex hormones all day and night, like taking Chasteberry and Vitex and, and all these things, but nothing's going to really get at the root quite like fixing your diet to help balance those blood sugar levels. And that they're so much easier to change. It's so much easier to change your blood sugar levels and insulin levels than it is your sex hormones. So that's the good news is that we have so much control over this. So yeah, that's my long story. (laughs) That's amazing. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is just at the start of your story was like your mom and yourself, like you were picking foods based off of what the media was telling you. And that's one thing I know when I started looking into nutrition a little bit more and when I was in school, looking at what the foods are that are marketed specifically to kids, you're like, no kid should be eating that. (laughs) But when that's what you're being told, you don't know the difference. Yeah. So that, yeah, I think that was really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. And I just, I like to point out that everyone is trying their best and we're all doing, taking the information that we get. And we're trying to work with it. And even like there's stories of doctors being like, when I told my patients to eat less and exercise more and they would come back gaining weight, I thought that that they were just cheating and they weren't trying hard enough. And then you have those doctors who actually tried it themselves and saw that when taking their own advice, it was bad advice. And Mm -hmm. so we've been given all this bad advice. And I just want to, because my mom still carries all this guilt that she gave me things that weren't good for me. And I'm like, you didn't know better. And just like anyone out there who's doing the best they can, we're all just doing the best we can with the information we have. And so what I think is so important is to give people access to other things to try. And what works for me might not work for anybody else, but at least we need to know maybe where to start to begin experimenting because 
through experimentation, that's the only way we're going to find out really what works for our bodies. So that is something that I always recommend. I love that. I do too. That's a great way to put that. You really do have to try various things to mm-hmm. see what works for you. Cause, um, yeah, I've tried like whole 30 and AIP and various other stuff. And, um, I don't know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but I, and then I also have lately been talking about that. Even if you tried something three years ago, the body changes and that may not yes. be the case now. Yeah. That's important too. Um, I, that quote of PCOS is the diabetes of the ovaries is like fascinating to me. Oh my God. Never heard that either. Um, so you mentioned a few of your symptoms of the fatigue and difficulty with weight loss. Did you have other symptoms with PCOS? Like, were you having ovarian cyst pain issues, bursting, et cetera? So I did get an ultrasound from that gynecologist who did say that there were cysts. To be honest, I feel like I can't even believe him, but probably I probably have them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so yes, I have the cysts, but I don't didn't experience pain with them. I did have pretty bad um, PMS in terms of it wasn't so much of cramping pain, but it was more of emotional symptoms, like Mm -hmm. very negative emotions, but the week before my period. Um, and then once my period started to become a little bit more regular, so my period did become more regular while I still had the PC, the other symptoms. So the other symptoms that I had were the weight loss resistance. And honestly, I was working out and gaining weight. I was, I felt Mm -hmm. like I, I just couldn't not even weight loss resistance. It was like weight gain uncontrollably. And then I also had the acne and I also, uh, and I did not have some other common symptoms in PCOS, which would be uh, facial hair growth and male pattern baldness. So those things I luckily did not have, but I did have those other symptoms. Mm-hmm. See, that's so interesting. And especially saying, you know, it's like they could have put you on the birth control or all these various hormone things, Mm -hmm. but with that underlying cause of blood sugar, I mean, that's just, that's just like really fascinating because as women as a whole, our hormones are pretty challenging to deal with at times. Totally. I mean, especially with like, like you said, the the quality of our food anymore, mm-hmm. the quality of the products that we use. There's so many things going into our bodies or onto our bodies and then stress on top of it. And like hormones are affected by all of those things. Yes. And so we do kind of think like, okay, hormones are an issue, mood swings, fatigue, weight issues, cramping, fix the hormones, only focus Mm -hmm. on the hormones. So Mm -hmm. to know that blood sugar, you know, also has such a big impact on that. So could you talk a little bit? Oh, I just wanted to mention one thing, Mm -hmm. reason why blood sugar. So it's, it's not necessarily the level of sugar in our blood that is affecting our hormones. It's the resulting insulin that is produced when we have elevated blood sugar levels and insulin is a hormone. So insulin, high insulin in women is shown to raise testosterone. So hello, PCOS. And then in men, high insulin levels are actually shown to raise estrogen and lower testosterone. So the opposite. So a lot of times you see that pattern in men as well, who eat a high carbohydrate or high sugar diet. Oh, that's fascinating. (laughs) I know. I'm like, uh, mind blown. What? (laughs) That is super interesting. 
<laughs> I think it's interesting that it affects males and females oppositely. Mm-hmm. And I know Cassie and I are, we've mentioned this while we're reading this really cool book. Okay. I literally <laughs> was totally about to bring up that book. And if you're about to bring up that like mind blowing fact, yes, we are so on the same page. So basically so this it. book is called the lady's handbook to her mysterious illness. Um, mm-hmm. It's written by Sarah Ramey. She's also going to be interviewed on this podcast. I have no idea if the episode's already coming out or if it is about to come out when we air this episode. <laughs> uh, I think Danielle's is before. Okay, cool. Uh, but so we've got Sarah Ramey and she has done a ton of research on chronic illnesses and like mysterious illnesses. And this one of the statistics is that like 70 to 80% of chronic illnesses are in women. Wow. So, which I heard that statistic and I was like, what? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. My that, heart just sunk a little bit. Right. <laughs> it's just like, why is it such a big difference? And so I think oh. kind of looking at that males and females do not have the same physiology. Mm-hmm. And we, like, I mean, you mentioned just insulin is going to affect the hormones differently in female yeah. testosterone increases in males, it's going to decrease. I mean, I think that just goes to show that our bodies don't work the exact same yeah. and that you need to recognize that you're going to have different reactions to things that are going on. Totally. Okay. Also about that too, part of some of the theories behind this with like, and with women, like so much being missed with our chronic illnesses is because just overall, you know, women have hysteria and Mm -hmm. we just, you know, can't handle it. And it's an emotional problem and we need antidepressants, but also women were not allowed to be part of medical trials until 1991. So it's like, I got so so mad when I read that. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) Okay, I like talked to my son about Everything it. Everything is and a I was, lie. Every I know, and <laughs> I was like, "It's a lie." He like, yeah. I talked to my son about it, and I was like, "Just so you know, this is why you know females like why." Because one time he asked me, um, "Now I'm gonna like remember because he's like, what is the big deal about um, the women's rights movement?" Because you know, women are the boss of everything anyway, and I was like. Yeah, son, you know, (laughs) and don't you forget it. So (laughs) I kind of had to like, you know, explain to him that I'm, you know, I'm a single mom. He's just seen me as like mom, women, you know, and everything. Um, But I like told him about that. And I was like, just so you know, medicine, (laughs) you know, wasn't even like tested on women basically until like 1991, which is insane. And so even with talking about how the insulin affects us both men and women, oppositely. Yeah. It's like, you know, for checking like medications and, you know, hormone supplements and medications and birth controls and all that stuff, like all of that is still very recent, you know, research. Mm -hmm. And so that is just like, that's really fascinating to me that it's such an effect. And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, like the difference of blood sugar and insulin, because Mm -hmm. I think that that's, unless you are researching about it, it's hard to understand some of the differences and how that totally. works and affects the body. I'm could happy you to explain it? Yeah, could you, you explain it? it? That would be great. Sure. Yeah. And this is something that once you kind of learn it and I like it in my mind, it's a very simplified picture because that's how it stays easy to, you know, manage. So when we eat carbohydrates or sugar, what happens is the amount of our body will digest it. And then some of that sugar will go into our bloodstream and our body 
at any given time generally has or likes to have approximately a teaspoon of sugar, so four grams of sugar in our bloodstream at any time. Which and is so, not a lot, people. It's not yeah, a lot. <laughs> it's not a lot at all. And so when the body senses that the blood glucose levels are rising, the pancreas will secrete insulin. Insulin's job, it's almost like a little key. And so it takes the glucose and opens up the cells of the body and to store the sugar in there. And so sometimes it will be used for energy. So it will go into the muscles and that will later be used for energy. It will go, um, it will store some in the liver as sugar to be used later because we have a lot of our liver as a storage site for some of it. And any excess will be stored in the body as adipose tissue or body fat. And so when we have high levels of insulin in our blood, the way I like to think of this is that we are in a fat storage mode. And so for me, I was having this these chronically high levels of insulin and everyone reacts to carbohydrates differently. So I think this is really important to say here. My mom, for example, can eat a very high carbohydrate diet. The woman doesn't gain weight. She has good blood sugar. We all process carbs totally differently. And, but many of us, a high number of us, and probably you might be one of these people that you're probably somewhat sensitive to carbohydrates. So that means where a normal person's blood sugar might go up a little bit and then their insulin will go up a little bit and then all those will fall down. Mine tended to go up and then stay elevated. And so that chronic elevation of the insulin leads to insulin resistance. All of a sudden these cells are like, yeah, 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 enough with the insulin. And they're not listening to the response of the insulin. And so you can develop either, my pattern was I started to develop what's called reactive hypoglycemia. So that's almost like I ate, let's say a half of an apple and my body's used to getting a ton of glucose at a time. And so it's like ready to produce a lot of insulin to help bring that glucose level in my blood down. So it pumps out a ton of insulin. And then all of a sudden my blood sugar levels drop too low. And then I would start to get the symptoms of hypoglycemia. So I would start to feel shaky. I could not miss a meal. I would get irritable. I would get intense hunger, that hangry thing, hangry is a huge sign you have blood sugar dysregulation. So our society likes to glamorize it. It's like, ah, hashtag hangry. It's like, get your blood sugar levels checked. (laughs) Um, But that was a big one. I would get anxiety, totally anxiety when my blood sugar levels were dropping. And then of course, when the blood sugar levels drop low, your body knows that you need to bring it back up to that happy spot with that, you know, let's say one teaspoon. And so in that zone where this blood sugar is low, I call that the craving zone. And so you will feel hungry and you will feel you will probably crave high sugar, high carbohydrate foods because your body knows that it needs glucose. So it's looking for this glucose. So what are you going to do? Go have a smoothie or go grab, you know, ice cream or have a cookie or a granola bar. It's, it's that carb cycle. It's this blood sugar roller coaster that we're on where the blood sugar spikes and then it crashes and then it spikes and crashes. And that is really, really stressful on the body. The body hates that. It destroys our adrenal glands. And so a lot of times we see people who have 
a, it used to be called adrenal fatigue or HPA axis dysfunction or just low levels of adrenal output cortisol. Blood sugar is a huge cause of that, but also these low adrenal glands can also cause issues with the blood sugar. So it can kind of go back and forth. So it's pretty complicated and I'm not sure if I explained it a hundred percent, but yeah, it, it kind of helps you understand why, you know, overeating carbohydrates, you have that insulin in the blood all the time. You're in this fat storage mode. And if you're in fat storage mode, you can't burn fat. So that's where we get a ton of weight loss resistance. If you have weight loss resistance, it's very likely that you have insulin resistance and fun fact, this also comes with probably leptin resistance. Leptin is a hormone that regulates, it tells us that we're, we feel full. And so when you have leptin resistance, you never feel full. So you're craving, you're gaining weight, and you're, you know, you're not full. And it's just, it's a mess. And you're tired because <laughs> your body's not getting the energy it needs. So yeah. That was a great explanation. Oh, was I, so good. Cassie, I'm really glad that you asked her to explain that because I'm familiar with the basic um, mm-hmm. insulin glucose kind of system. So I think Danielle, you taking time to like break that down for our listeners is great. And um, there was a lot of things that you were saying that I, that kind of piqued my interest because mm-hmm. I sometimes get really hangry. Mm. And so I've kind of, I've worked with some clients that they need to be lower carb when they eat low carb, they feel really good. If they eat lots of carbs, that's when they start to feel tired and crappy and just not good. And so like, I've kind of experimented a little bit with like low carb versus like, like higher carb. And Mm. I sometimes just, I feel really, really tired if I don't have enough carbs, Mm -hmm. but just kind of how you were saying, like, if you're feeling hangry, if you're craving certain foods, like some of those things, I was like, I don't feel like that all the time, but I definitely do sometimes, um, which makes me think that maybe I don't have like a big insulin blood sugar issue right now, but that maybe there's something happening in my system that could lead to a bigger problem. So can you kind of uh, lay out for our listeners and I guess kind of for me, um, (laughs) what people should look out for to know like you have a blood sugar issue, get it taken care of right now. Sure. So I loved so many things. I have so many things in my head right now. I'm just going to try to organize. So let me go to the question that you asked. So blood sugar dysregulation is actually a spectrum. Of course, it's not like you have it or you don't. It's a spectrum. So everyone starts with very regulated blood sugar and then it gets more dysregulated. And then the ending point of that is diabetes. So the other end of the spectrum would be diabetes. So all along the way, we have mild blood sugar dysregulation. Then we start to see that hypoglycemia, then we can start to see insulin resistance and prediabetes and then full-blown diabetes. So that's kind of that spectrum. So what I found was that, and thank you for asking this question, because this is the most important thing that I want people to take away from this is knowing what the signs are of just simple blood sugar dysregulation. So the first one would be fluctuating energy levels. If So that could be like, you're really tired, but then you eat a meal and you feel energy. Or it could be you eat a meal and then your energy crashes. So those are two signs. Craving any kind of carbs or sugar in any way. And even just if you eat processed carbohydrates, your blood sugar is likely already dysregulated. It can start to cause issues with sleep. You can start to feel that hangriness, you know, when a meal is delayed, you might start to feel feel shaky or irritable. You'd have some mood symptoms. And all of these things tend to get worse as the 
as the blood sugar dysregulation gets worse as well. We also see all those hormone imbalances. We start to see a lot of mood issues. You could have brain fog as a huge one, memory issues, and like I said, PCOS, issues with inflammation, issues with your adrenal glands, and that need to snack, that inability to kind of go between meals without snacking, that's another sign your blood sugar is dysregulated. So this is, and of course, the inability to lose weight and not feeling full, that that's what we were talking about before. But going back to the snacking thing, so a lot of people have been told to keep your metabolism up, you need to eat six small meals a day. And I strongly disagree with this. And I think that you know, some people might need to, that's not knocking on anything that anyone is doing, of course. But if you want to try something new that could potentially benefit you, I would definitely try to eliminate the snacking because if you can't go from one meal to the next without having a snack, it could be a variety of reasons. Like number one, you didn't eat enough protein and fat at your meals. Protein is the most satiating macronutrient. And then fat acts like this log in a fire. It burns low and slow and keeps our energy levels stable. The carbs, think of them as like the kindling. They burn hot and fast and then they're out. And so if you want to try to make it between you know, meals, you'd want to have more fats and proteins at the meals. But the other thing is you mentioned that when you lowered your carbs, you didn't have a lot of energy. And this is something I wanted to talk about because it's a great it's a great observation. So what happens is our bodies have kind of two modes. They can burn glucose for fuel or they can burn fat for fuel as in the form of free fatty acids and ketones. So you've heard of the keto diet. I just mentioned that. So all babies are born in ketosis. And if they are breastfed, they are still in ketosis. So it's a natural state for our body to be able to burn fat and sugar for fuel. And our bodies ideally, if they're optimally healthy, we'll be able to kind of bounce back and forth between those. In the presence of sugar, the body will always burn that first and use that for fuel. And then once that runs out, it should be able to easily just switch over to burning ketones. However, most of us, we live in this very carb-centric world. There's carbs everywhere. If you've ever tried to do a lower carb diet, you realize that everything you touch, it's like, this has carbs, this has carbs. Oh my God. Gosh, they're everywhere. So again, this is no fault of anybody's, but we have just lost this ability to actually burn body fat. And so with the coupling of the insulin resistance, we have our bodies have kind of forgotten how to do this. And so what happens is when someone who's who lacks the ability to burn fat for fuel, and this was me before I went went um, keto, if you lower the carbohydrates, but you're not in ketosis you're essentially just lowering your only energy source. And so a lot of times people who are on a low carb diet might not feel that great because they have no energy because they're only working with a tiny bit of glucose. And so that is one of the reasons for being able to like for going into a keto diet and getting into a state of ketosis, because the ultimate goal of that is to get this metabolic flexibility where our metabolisms can run off both glucose and fats for fuel. So when you're in ketosis, it's not something you need to be in forever. If this is something that you're interested in, but like, oh, hey, I love fruit. I, I want to eat it sometime again in my life. Like, yeah, I do too. And so it's not 
a, you need to only eat this way forever, but it's a really good therapeutic tool to use to teach your body how to burn that fat and those ketones again for fuel, which ketone, it's also extremely anti-inflammatory. Ketones are just inherently anti-inflammatory. It's a cleaner source of energy for our brains to run on, for our bodies to run on. So there's a lot of other benefits too. But then you can, you know, and this is for anyone, you could play with adding back in some carbs and, you know, kind of being able to switch in and out of ketosis is a really awesome tool for your body in terms of its healing. So that's just the other thing I wanted to add in. That's so interesting. I know you're like such an expert on this. I'm so excited (laughs) about this interview. Seriously. A question that I have is my background is in exercise. I know Mm -hmm. lots about exercise science and how our body works physiologically, nutrition Uh in me. I know the basics. And so Uh since you are an expert in nutrition, I have always heard that our brain prefers carbohydrates to run off of. And you just mentioned it really likes ketones. So So glad you brought this up. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that whenever I hear the keto diet kind of come up, I think the thing I hear about the most is, well, but your brain likes carbohydrates. So if you can kind of talk about that, I I know I would love to learn about it. Yeah, sure. I'm ready to debunk that because I'm so excited you asked that. Thank you. I've never been asked this before. So, (laughs) So we have three macronutrients. They are, you know them, right? Oh yeah. Proteins, carbs, and fats. Okay, good. That's my nutrition knowledge. (laughs) There you go. Okay. So we have proteins, carbs, and fats. What is the only non-essential macronutrient? Which one is not essential out of those three? Do you know? I mean, I know we need proteins because we need proteins to build our body up. Yeah. But trying to pick between like carbs versus fats, which is essential. I don't know if I could answer that. Yeah. So the answer is carbohydrates. They are not essential. And why is this? It's because the body can make glucose out of protein and out of fat. So so your body, your body is not, is very smart. And so think about, let's travel back to our days as cavemen and women and think, okay, here's an animal. We had to kill it to survive. We're going to eat all the, you know, the organs and we're going to eat all the muscle meats and, you know, we're going to eat this animal and that's all we have because it's winter and there's not one plant in sight. That's a zero carbohydrate diet. If our brain needs glucose to function, which it does, it needs to be able to create it. And so one process of how the brain, the body creates glucose from protein would be through a process called gluconeogenesis. So that's sometimes you'll hear on a ketogenic diet, you have to keep your proteins kind of low because you can kick yourself out of ketosis that way because the body doesn't have anywhere to store excess proteins, amino acids. So it will create, put them into, make them into sugar. But yeah, so your body does need glucose. Your brain needs glucose, but it doesn't need to consume glucose because it can make it from whatever, from the fats and the proteins. And so that's why people, some people are really thriving on like a carnivore diet, which is a zero carb diet. So it's pretty wild. That is fascinating. Cause yeah, I, I remember in taking nutrition in college about how you could turn fats into glucose, protein into glucose. And I guess I'd never put it together like that, that yeah, your body can create glucose from fats and proteins. It doesn't need you to eat carbohydrates to make glucose. So thank you for sharing that. That was very, very interesting. Sure. Well, and it's really interesting, like what goes on when you, um, so the first time I did whole 30, I did the whole 33 times. And the first Mm -hmm. time I did it in that first week, because 
when with the whole 30, you know, um, all carbs, well, mm-hmm. not all carbs, so that's not said right. Grains are mm-hmm. eliminated, sugar mm-hmm. is eliminated. Um, so in that first week, it was like, like day four, I felt like I was like higher than a kite. Like I was so dizzy, you know, mm-hmm. and I, because of getting all of that, you know, my, my body was burning the stuff that was left in there and there was nothing being put back in, yeah. um, coming off of the sugar and stuff. And it was so weird. I felt like I was like on a boat, you know, for like a few days. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. after that first week that totally leveled out. Um, and so it's so important that for me in that moment, feeling that withdrawal type of like experience and my body changing was definitely like, whoa, you know, this has a really big effect. Um, and it's interesting because, so I did, I've done whole 33 times then I did AIP for two and a half years, which is extremely low carb, if Mm -hmm. any. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but then as you talked about like how everybody's bodies are different. And then Chelsea, mm-hmm. even you talking about sometimes you feel like you don't have enough energy. I think it's really interesting because um, I did like no grains for, I guess, probably almost three years total, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, now I'm not gluten-free and I eat a lot of grains. And I sometimes feel like weird saying that because yeah. of the various diets that I've done and research mm-hmm. and everything. Um, I have Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. And so... I've talked about this in a previous episode that like when they give you the pamphlet, they like tell you to eat like donuts because it's soft, easily eat, you know, easily digestible. Yeah. It's like crazy. And they'll be like, you oh know, it can be nutritious because so you get vitamin it. A from the tomato sauce. Oh yeah. So I got oh, my diagnosis know. when I was doing AIP and then getting that pamphlet and I was eating like literally vegetables for breakfast, you know, like green goddess period yeah. soup was my breakfast. So I looked at this pamphlet yeah. and I was like, what the fuck? This is crazy. These people are idiots. What do they know? Like I need vegetables. I need whole food. I need to feed my body. Mm -hmm. And so I completely like, was like, no. And I didn't, Mm -hmm. I had nothing to do with it. Um, after I had a small bowel obstruction in 2017 and I had to go on, um, like broth and baby rice cereal for a long time, I then went gluten-free for like a year and just did some gluten-free grains. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I don't even remember why it was, but I think I just, my health really wasn't where I wanted it to be. I had like a multitude of symptoms. And so I decided to be like, well, maybe I'll try what the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation say, and I'll go ahead and eat bread and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I would say it like worked because those grains are like so easy to digest that I can eat bread and I'm like fine. And so... It's, I sort of just want to like share that in the episode because one of the interesting things about it is I have felt a lot of guilt and shame eating a high carb diet Mm -hmm. because of the various diets I've done and research and books that I've read. And I'm all about whole foods. And I actually grew up eating a very whole food diet. My mom was all about vegetables and fruits. I was fortunate in that way. Wow. Yeah. Um, So it's weird to now, I feel like be eating a less nutritious diet Mm-hmm. but as of right now where my body is like, that's what my gut can handle the best is this. Like, I don't eat a lot of like really processed food. Like I'm never going to eat like a Twinkie. I don't eat fast food, but I mm-hmm. eat a lot of bread. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, but the thing that's in, also interesting about it is although my body digests that the easiest, I definitely have issues with like the fatigue fluctuation, mm-hmm. um, brain fog. And so Chelsea mm-hmm. and I, 
we, we um, have also put out like a brain fog episode, I think by the time this one airs, but it's interesting because especially hearing about everything that you're talking about, mm-hmm. all of that, like makes sense to me where I'm like, and there might be listeners out there that you might be eating a lot of bread, whether it's, or grains, like, it, or carbs that mm-hmm. if you are digesting it easily, but yet you have all the other symptoms, there could be everything that you've been talking about going on in the background. And yeah. that could be a huge contributing factor to why I'm like freaking breaking out all over here right now. And yeah. I have- Are you breaking fun. out underneath your jaw too? Dude, which is like the hormonal area is what yeah, they say. That's where, yeah, yeah, and that's where mm-hmm. I used to break out from sugar. So right. um, I would like to talk about something. So since I'm also a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and when we went to school, the biggest mind-blowing thing that I learned learned about was digestion. And I have a whole episode on digestion in my podcast, but I wanted to just say that a lot of times I feel that grains are actually quite difficult to digest. And of course, there's all this bio-individuality, so everyone is different. However, a lot of people will say like, oh, I just, you know, I, I can't digest meat. It's really hard on my gut. And a lot of times when people are just kind of lose that taste for meat. And they're like, oh yeah, it kind of just sits in my stomach. It feels like a rock. I feel really heavy after I eat it. That is a, a, a very strong indicator that that person doesn't have enough stomach acid. And when we don't have enough stomach acid, what happens is there is a protein digesting enzyme that we have in our stomachs called pepsin. And it is not activated at rest because if it were activated, it would be digesting our organs because we are made of protein. So it needs to be activated and how it gets activated is a certain level of acidity in the stomach. So when we eat meat, for example, if we have enough stomach acid, it will activate the pepsin and start that that breakdown of the protein. But if not, it's just going to kind of sit there and putrefy. And then once it gets to the small intestine, then you're going to get the small intestine is ready for these tiny little particles of food that are nicely broken down. And I mean, this, I I didn't even talk about before we get to the stomach being in rest and digest when you eat, it doesn't sound glamorous, but it's highly, highly important to activate our parasympathetic calming nervous system. Because when we are in this fight or flight state, which a lot of us are, and could be activated even just from the foods that we're eating, if we're sensitive to them, then our bodies actually shut off digestion. And so all this stomach acid and digestive enzymes that were supposed to be there are now absent. And so being in a calm state and also chewing our food like 30 times per bite, Mm -hmm. it gets tedious, but that's really important. And then, so like I said, we want all this stomach acid in the stomach. And then once it gets to the intestines, it should be these like tiny little droplets of you know nutrients that have been broken apart. And then the cilia, the little hair that line the inside of the small intestine can absorb all those nutrients. But if it's getting like a piece of hamburger, it's going to be like, oh my gosh, what is this? And so it's going to, what does the immune system know how to do to protect us? It just inflames. And so this, we have this inflammation that of course doesn't just stay in our intestines because we have a bloodstream. So the bloodstream carries these inflammatory cytokines or molecules throughout our body. And then it can tend to attack certain areas. And that's where a lot of genetics comes into play. So again, we want to think about how can we increase our stomach acid? It's so, so important. And one of the ways to increase stomach acid 
is to have a little bit of apple cider vinegar in water, in just like a small half glass of water before a meal. And then you could tend, you might, if you do that, you'll feel this warming sensation in your stomach and that's the stomach acid being produced. And the amazing part of this is that having apple cider vinegar before a meal can actually reduce the glucose spike. And if you go to Glucose Goddess, her Instagram, I interviewed her for my podcast, you can see this visual representation of the glucose spike being blunted. And so you don't have, and that's really important to help with balancing our hormones and balancing our blood sugar is not having these spikes of blood sugar, but rather just these tiny little increases. And then it goes back down to baseline. So one way to improve your digestion and to improve your blood sugar is to do that little apple cider vinegar trick. So I thought that was pretty cool huh. to share. That's awesome. Cause I've heard from I don't even know how many sources like eat apple cider or drink apple cider vinegar like mm-hmm. sometime during the day, but I've never had that explanation of oh it's to help increase your stomach acid or digestion. Yeah, yeah, and you don't want to dilute your stomach acid, so you can't have it in a whole glass of water. Mm-hmm. And I will say that it's not the best taste; it's an acquired taste. And sprinkling a little bit of cinnamon on it can really help. And it is something that like, oh, cinnamon can help blood sugar levels. It doesn't help it acutely like that, like the apple cider vinegar does, but it will, it can help it over time. But the cinnamon is more just for the taste. It makes it taste more like apple pie instead of vinegar. (laughs) That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Danny, can you talk a little bit about the role intermittent fasting can play in uh, glucose regulation, blood sugar regulation, and kind of how that affects your hormones? Sure. So intermittent fasting or fasting in general is the most effective and fastest way to reduce your insulin levels, which is highly important in balancing all these hormones. So intermittent fasting is extremely helpful for hormone balance in general. It can really help regulate the insulin and leptin levels like we talked about. And it's it's allowing the body. So our bodies are designed to heal. If I cut my hand, I don't have to do anything. My body knows exactly what to do to heal itself. The same thing takes place in the inside of our bodies. So a lot of times we think about what can we do? What can we give our body? What can we take? But this is the, it's a different way of thinking. It's like, I'm going to step back and let my body's innate wisdom do what it knows to do. And so in this sense, we're kind of getting out of the body's way of being able to heal. So when we take a break from eating, we get, first of all, we're giving our digestive system a chance to heal and repair. And our bodies can go through this process called autophagy which means self-eating. And so it goes through autophagy. It cleans up dead cells or little damaged particles. It is very important for our immune function. And in terms of immunity for viruses, it's recommended that you stay under 24 hours. So that's just kind of pertinent for what's going on right now. But you want to stay under those like 24 hours or less for the viral immunity. But in general, for some people who are doing anti-cancer stuff, there is a very big role that fasting can play because of this autophagy. It can get rid of, it can identify those cells that are not 
healthy and it can get rid of them on their own. And one thing that people will say with fasting is like, oh, you're just going to get hungrier and hungrier. Like I could never, I would be so hungry. And hunger actually just comes in waves. It comes usually at mealtimes. You might feel hungry and then it will go away. And that's a, that's great news. You don't get more and more hungry as time goes on. And actually it regulates your appetite so well because it's fixing these hormones that even when you go to eat, you want to eat less. And so it's a really, really important and beneficial tool. And it has been very helpful for me for losing weight. So the only thing, if I eat a ketogenic diet and just eat regularly without fasting, I won't lose any body fat, but only I see that I'm able to lose body fat only if I do intermittent fasting or fasting of some kind. And there's a lot, the good thing about fasting is that it's so flexible that you can do it one day, not do it the next and do it a different way and keep adapting and trying things. One thing I want to mention with intermittent fasting, because we were talking earlier about the women's hormones and how women are different different than men. And so a lot of studies of intermittent fasting are done on men. And then you might hear there's a story where it shouldn't, women shouldn't fast at all. And I want to say that, that I don't feel that that's true. I feel that we have to be more mindful because we can tend to overfast, and that could be detrimental to our hormones. So if you are cycling regularly, the week before your period, you might find that it's just hard to fast. And the week before our cycles, our basal metabolic rate actually increases. So we need more food in general. So if you are in, you know, in this fasting lifestyle, you'll want to kind of maybe just do a 16 hour intermittent fast or not fast at all during this week before your cycle. And that's totally okay. We need to build hormones. And so that might even be a good time if you're doing a ketogenic diet to do a carb up. And so we can use the carbs as a tool to help us build our hormones. And then we can get back off of them to be more blood sugar friendly. And then you also would want to not fast about four days after you ovulate. If again, you're tracking your cycles and your cycles are somewhat regular, that would be another day that's important for hormone building. But other than that, you just you want to always listen to your body when it comes to fasting. So if you're starting to lose your hair, if you're starting to gain weight, those are all signs that you're over fasting. So for men, a lot of times it, when it comes to fasting, more can be better, but not for women because we're so special and we're delicate flowers. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is fantastic information. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of intermittent fasting. And That's so, it. yeah, I'm freaking all about it. That that was a huge thing that helped a lot of my Crohn's symptoms because I truly was able to let the digestive system rest. And if I'm in a little bit of a flare or feeling like I'm getting that way, I will go to like a liquid diet, which mm-hmm. is I don't even do a lot of smoothies or juices often because like the, they, they will sometimes make me a little bit shaky, you mm-hmm. know, because of sometimes the sugar. And so I'll just do like water and herbal tea and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it helps a lot just to yeah. give that like full break. Yeah. So I'm definitely all about it. And I, I totally agree that you, you think you're going to be really hungry. Like before I did any inter- intermittent fasting for my very first colonoscopy, for example, when you have to fast for mm-hmm. 12 hours, then you start drinking the drink. That was hard for me. Yeah. Um, 
But then I just had a colonoscopy two months ago that I fasted for 42 hours and I was like, fine. I was like totally fine. And so the body does get used to it. And I, I did feel really good. So I'm, I totally advocate for it too, but you're right. You do need to listen to your body. And there are times like around the period that I'm like, screw it. And I just eat all the things and exactly. Yeah. Mm. There's going to be some days where it just feels once you do it regularly, it's going to feel hard at first. Megan Ramos talks about exercising your fasting muscle. Mm -hmm. So as all these things start to regulate it, it will get easier, but Mm -hmm. then that's the time to listen to your body when it's just like, why can't I fast today? It's like, that's your body telling you don't fast. (laughs) And yeah. So that's really important. That's good. That's awesome. Well, Danny, you are a wealth of knowledge. I have learned so much talking to you for the past hour. And I I know you kind of inspired me to maybe check into the sugar that I'm eating, kind of pay more attention to my body of like, okay, well, is there something going on? Are there some changes that I could make to maybe just help myself feel better and better and just be healthier? So if our listeners are like me and want to learn more about you and kind of follow what all you're sharing out there, how can they find you? Sure. So I have a podcast and it's called Unlock the Sugar Shackles and that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. And my Instagram handle, I'm very active over on Instagram. It's Danielle Hamilton Health and I post helpful infographics and I try to break down these complicated subjects and give you kind of take home advice that you can start incorporating into your own life or experimenting with. And I, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. This was amazing. I'm so glad that you came on the show. This was such a great conversation. You are so knowledgeable. Oh, thank you so much. Oh gosh. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to talking to you further in the future. It seems like there's, you could probably do like well, you have your podcast. I was going to say you could do whole episodes on all of these topics, but clearly that's what you're doing. So that's so great. Basically, yeah. Cassie and I need to go listen to your podcast yeah. all yeah. the time. I have yeah. a, a whole episode on breaking down those complex terms, like what insulin resistance is. So if if you were kind of like, okay, I kind of got it, but I want to learn more. I have a whole episode on that. I have an episode that is like how sugar affects every single cell in your body, one on keto, one on fasting. And yeah. So awesome. awesome. Yay. This is so great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This is really awesome. I could talk with you girls all day. <laughs> Yay. I could talk to you all day. I know. That's how I feel. I know. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Danny. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please write us a review to help us reach more people like you. If you'd like to connect with Cassie and I, you can find us on Instagram at The Real Spoonies Unite. You can also join our private Facebook community, Spoonies Unite, or you can visit our website, therealspooniesunite.com, for all sorts of resources and to stay up to date with our current projects. And don't worry, you can find all these links in the show notes below. Thank you to our wonderful Spoonie patrons for all your support, and you can become one too. That's right. All you have to do is go on over to patreon.com slash therealspooniesunite, and you can get all sorts of extra goodies like videos of our episodes and more. Any support is greatly appreciated. It helps enable us to create more content for all of you, as well as make this podcast sound better and better. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be back in your ears soon.